0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Quick note and an apology before the episode this week. I did not get my microphone plugged in. Those of you who don't like the audio, big apology on my part. It's the default computer audio from my computer so i'm probably not going to sound as great we'll work hard not to have that happen again but apologies guys kyle pitt's disappointment but a bunch of exciting stuff from rookie wide receivers that's most of what we're going to talk about today on bananas I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find the Stealing Signals newsletter over at BenGretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotovis. Sean, not necessarily a fun set of topics today, but we do have to talk a little bit about Lance. I'm not looking forward to it. I'd prefer if we just moved on. But yeah, rough week. Rough week two. Uh, not. I mean, it, it, it really wasn't, and that's almost what's so heartbreaking about it, because... There was a lot, there's so much going well, you know. Jalen Waddle. we've joked you had ranked top 10 for, for a period of time at wide receiver way above where he was going, has the monster game. Uh, we get the amazing Garrett Wilson outcome. Drake London continues to be fantastic. We get good news on Traylon Burks, who I'm excited to talk about, even though the Titans look absolutely awful. There were a lot of things to be really excited about. I'm not that worried about Kyle Pitts, which we'll get to So much to be excited about, and yet the Trey Lance thing really is sort of the headline of week two. Just so unfortunate. It is.
2: And, I mean, there are so many layers to this. First and foremost, it's a human story to where the biggest disappointment by far is for Lance himself. He's going to now head into his third season season with the 49ers having basically not played for three years because of the pandemic being the backup. And then this injury for any of us, you know, to be kind of removed from what you love and what you do for three years. Now, I mean, in all of those situations, he's going to be with the team. He's going to be practicing. He's going to be working on his craft. You hope that He's getting better. He seems like... We don't have a ton of insight on this necessarily, but he seems like a fantastic person. And so, I mean, he's doing a lot of these things behind the scenes. He's not necessarily completely removed from being a football player. But, I mean, now you have three years, essentially, without games. That's just heartbreaking from a real-life perspective. From a fantasy perspective, obviously, it's very hard, too. Because, I mean, you, you want to make sure you put the emphasis first on the real person but one of the things about fantasy football now is that you have just this immense community and you have all of these people rooting for you and and have their own sort of emotional investment in the actual nfl games obviously the fantasy games and so i mean the collective impact on people in the fantasy community also is very significant and you think about all the people whose sundays were ruined and you know both feeling for him and obviously now where they are with their team. So we're going to talk a little bit about the team perspective and the fantasy perspective. But again, you know, mentioning that
1: yeah, first the biggest foremost, issue is that it's him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. First but, and foremost, it, it sucks for lands,
2: Absolutely. And so I was kind of telling you before the show that the first wave of games, been was one of my favorites of all time. Of all time. Right. You have this... Crazy comeback by the Miami Dolphins. I mean, for us personally, we have Tyreek Hill on one of our best teams. We have Jalen Waddle on a huge number of teams. One of the things that was kind of fun when we were drafting the chasing stolen bananas team with Pat and Pete was that some people in the chat were giving me a hard time about having Waddle ranked ahead of A.J. Brown for a big part of the offseason. And I think that was wrong. I think that A.J. Brown is going to outscore him, even with the difference in their two games in week two and i did move aj brown ahead of waddle uh in, in the last you know week to 10 days before the season finally started figured out. finally figured it out that's right <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, but yeah i mean we had waddle high and we haven't on a bunch of teams and i was kind of joking with column that i mean Amon Ra on somebody who looks like he's going to be a top 10 wide receiver and i wish i had him on a lot more teams and had him you know, ranked in a draftable area but you try to figure out why you don't have him and I mean, it's because he still is behind Jalen Waddle. Those guys are going in a similar spot. And so kind of the play here would have actually been to, to reach on Waddle, have him on the team, and then put man, Amon Ra on the same team. And that's one of the areas where you can actually get stuck by trying to make sure you don't get ahead of the game at ADP. But at the same time, you know, you get too aggressive, too confident in your own rankings, and you can, you can really get blown out when you are wrong and we talk about having a lot of humility anyway this early wave of games with Garrett Wilson then as I was kind of thinking back on the shows and the draft shows and draft season I mean we're not right on everything by any stretch we weren't this year we won't be in the future but it it was exciting for me I I mentioned that I don't really mind being wrong for myself and I don't like when my fantasy teams lose but Part of it is that I'm comfortable with being very aggressive. I'm comfortable with the teams losing, especially in the short term. I like to take a bunch of risks. Often those work in a big way. Sometimes they don't work at all. But when we recommend things and they don't work for the listeners, then it is hard. We want the people who are stealing bananas fans to to do well. And so from that perspective, it, it, it makes us feel good when we're right for the listeners It does worry us and bother us when we're wrong. Thinking back to those draft shows and taking Garrett Wilson, basically every show and trying to explain how we didn't understand his ADP. It seemed to be the most broken ADP just in the entire constellation. I mean, just in in all of drafts to have someone who was the number 10 overall pick, an elite prospect To watch what happened with rookie wide receivers in the last several years and to see him sitting where he was sitting in drafts. And this is one of the things that we talk about a lot where you want to structure your drafts so that you have asymmetrical upside. And one of those things is to mildly sell some of the environmental things because those are already priced in but if the Jets end up being a little better than expected, and we don't know that that's going to be the case. I mean, this could be a situation where Zach Wilson does come in and take this offense down with him at least to an extent at some point during the season, but already Garrett Wilson has been so good that he seems like the guy who will not go down with the ship. I mean, Corey Davis obviously isn't going to be able to maintain his current scoring. Elijah Moore actually hasn't done that. Well, you think that the Garrett Wilson emergence probably helps his floor hurts his ceiling as we look to you know the rest of the season but i felt really really good about garrett wilson he has the big game he was actually missed on two end zone targets there by joe flacco I mean,
1: this game could have been bigger <laughs> right. three end zone targets uh on the game one was the fade that was one of the best fade routes you'll ever see run i made a joke in stealing signals that the goal line fade is a low percentage play, unless apparently unless Garrett Wilson's running it because he creates about five feet of separation. And then it's just a little pitch and catch. At that point, the goal line fade isn't a, a bad route because he got so open. Two other end zone targets, like you said, he also had two more targets down inside the five. And he had that that play in week one you told me about. It. I eventually went back and looked at it. I'm not sure what's about on the show, that he, had, he ran the whip route and should have had a, an easy TD, but Flacco threw it outside of him. That was down inside the five. The two other that were inside the five here in week two, one of them was the game winner. He catches it; it's not an end zone target technically, catches it at like the one yard line and walks in. And then uh, before the fade, he had a a little catch down to the two yard line in the first quarter. But yeah, a ton of work in the red zone, Brent, which is fantastic to see.
2: And you mentioned the separation. You, You know, if you're not watching the game and you know that there are other receivers who maybe are going to play more snaps, you know, they've got even Braxton Berrios potentially causing a little bit of a problem when you're trying to figure out how he's getting so many targets. Well, I mean, how he's getting so many targets is that (laughs) he separates like he's playing against high school kids. I mean, that you could go from college to the NFL and run these routes and have the explosiveness to where there's just no one near him
1: half the time. I mean, you're going to get targets when you're wide open. So to the extent of how fluky is this Garrett Wilson thing, which I'm getting from some places, it's not. He's really good. Like if you turn on the game and watch him, it's what you just said. He's getting wide open. It's not it's not just that fade that I talked about. It's the play you told me about from week one, the, the little whip route near the goal line where he was wide. I mean, he went is an in-breaking route and then he spin back to the outside and he gets the guy moving so far in that when he's coming out of his route, he's there. And Flacco just kind of throws it before he even comes out of his break and and throws it wide and he doesn't have time to get there. And if he's just a little bit more patient with the throw or just puts it on target. I mean, Wilson walks in. It's a very easy touchdown. And like you said, he's doing this on every route. And so, like, I mean, it doesn't mean he's going to score 30 points every single week, but when a player shows this skill set immediately at the NFL level in his second game, like, you buy into it.
2: Yeah, and Joe Flacco throws a lot of super inaccurate passes. A lot of passes where you're trying to figure out I mean, occasionally just even who the person targeted was on that particular play, but he still has a big arm. He's willing to throw it down the field. So you get plays like the broken coverage where Corey Davis goes for the long touchdown. You're going to get some huge performances from Elijah Moore. I mean, one of the things with Garrett Wilson and like how fluky this is, is that there are other guys out there. So, I mean, there's only so much the defense is going to be able to do. Elijah Moore is also fantastic. Just ultra athletic, can do a lot of these complementary routes. That's something the defense has to account for. And then, even though they haven't run the ball unbelievably well so far, Michael Carter, I mean, he could be Austin Eckler if they didn't have Brees Hall. And Brees Hall already looks like one of the best running backs in the NFL. Which, so His usage was really
1: weird, too, but maybe we'll talk about that in a bit.
2: Yeah, i I mean, you look at these guys, and this isn't an offense that the defense can simply – say, okay, we're going to take this guy away. Now what are you going to do? Because they have a ton of weapons.
1: They do. And yeah, Garrett Wilson was my biggest signal of the week for the, the readers of the newsletter. They'll know that I, I I list my biggest signals and biggest noise of the week at the end of part two of these you know big long write-ups. And I, I have a little note that they are not organized perfect because I'm not going to sit there <laughs> and try to rank everything, but they are... Um, I'm going to find the note. I write, vaguely ranked in order of relevance slash importance. But I you know I pay a little bit of attention to that. Garrett Wilson was the one that I put at the very top of my biggest signals of week two. Corey Davis was one of the biggest noises of week two. He had the long touchdown, but he only got three other targets. I wrote he'll have his moments. But Wilson's ascension in the presence of Elijah Moore, it kind of re- renders Corey Davis obsolete. And, and there's some positive notes on Tyler Conklin's usage. I mean, I, I just think when we look two months down the road, it's going to be Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore doing what we talked about in the preseason. This is like T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. Not exactly like it. They don't have Joe Burrow at quarterback. Garrett Wilson, not quite the prospect of Jamar Chase. But that's what we, we kept saying. Why is Garrett Wilson going where he's going? Because it's not a bad thing that Elijah Moore is good, just like it wasn't for Jamar like Jamar. And and what we're seeing now, the rookie can come in and actually be the better of the two. He was the higher pedigree prospect. He was a top 10 pick. Elijah Moore was a second round pick, had a great rookie year. But again, we'll never understand Garrett Wilson's 2022 redraft ADP. I'm just glad that we emphasized on basically every draft that we did that we were going to take him anywhere. We absolutely. I mean, we were just talking about some of our teams before the show. And you mentioned disability it's greedy at this point because we have so much Garrett Wilson, but it's disappointing a little bit that there were spots where we would have taken him, but there was one that we talked about. We got Sky Moore in the 10th round. He often went in the seventh or the eighth. And so in one draft, we're like, okay, we're going to take, you know, we, we were taking Sky Moore higher, mostly based on ADP. We never had to make that decision in this draft. Sky Moore falls. We take Sky Moore, and then Garrett Wilson doesn't make it back to us in 11. We don't have Garrett Wilson on that team as a result of Sky Moore falling, <laughs> but we would have taken Garrett Wilson in the 10th round there because we took him. 10th so Well, we started press. taking him in the 11th and 12th because yeah. that's
2: where he was going. We were able and to. so,
1: yeah,
2: I mean, you end up, I mean, again, it's a, a thing of like how far ahead of ADP do you want to be on somebody who you feel very strongly is going to smash anything in that entire range. The flip side is that if that person goes down, right, then you have Fair holes range. in your roster, which yeah. is, I mean, what we have at the, the QB chain. position in some of these. but before we move off of wilson here too i just i want to mention again this idea of selecting talent and believing that talent is going to drive volume instead of the other way around that davis and barrios were not the issues that it seemed like they could potentially be and i mean we have plays like this all throughout the double digit rounds and some of the plays haven't hit and some of the plays where there were situations where people are saying okay well Yeah, we understand why you like the talent there, but there are some things within the context of this offense where we think the offense is going to limit the players. And you think about some of those guys in the early going, like Albert O and Noah Fant. You can be wrong on elite talents at those prices because when you're right, the upside is so valuable to you. Also, as the season progresses, you still have the chance to be right because the talent is there. Whereas when the team realizes they've made a mistake, and they go away from this very specific way of running the offense, then the plays that required that type of offense, those are all dead, right? So, again, you're not going to hit on all of these, but I strongly believe that that way of thinking about predictions, or I should say that way of thinking about projections, that way of thinking about talent, and that way of thinking about roster construction is incredibly important to building these super
1: teams. I mean, we're not going to just sit here and pound our chest all, all show, but that's I mean, we talk about that, so, but Sean. That's what we try to <laughs> we try to tell people all draft season. I mean, we, we 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 did our best, right? I I feel very comfortable with what we put out there in terms of those points. I think they have shown, like you said, to be very valid through these first couple of weeks. It's been so exciting to see. Uh, you know, you go back to last year, and one of the big talking points we had was how you had, and I loved it, and I emphasized it, and we talked about it on several other shows, was how well, so many of these points in the draft, people are taking running backs instead of receivers. And and your point was just look at who the players are. Like don't think about it in a fancy football context, but who's the better player? And a lot of times it's like, okay, well, we're, we're drafting a Mike Davis last year type running back over a potential superstar receiver like a Jamar Chase. Those guys are both going in the fifth round last year. It's like, who do I who do I think is the better football player, right? And so that was the way we talked about it in 2021 a little bit. We obviously hit on these concepts a ton here in 2022, but it's the same idea that, and it's not to knock all running backs, but at a lot of spots, you're talking about receivers that look like they are just incredible football players and can do things like what Garrett Wilson is showing he's capable of doing. And people, you know, are so worried about filling out their roster and this and that and getting balance in draft season. And we, and we try to talk about it in draft season. It's really hard. I mean, I still look back and I go, "I made too many running backs." Basically, I mean, that's what it comes down to. You, you like, you made too many running back picks because there are receivers that are disappointing. And that's what I was saying. You want to be redundant at receiver. There are some that are not doing what we hoped. That don't look great. Having Garrett Wilson and, and having you know the eight receivers or whatever and And being able to now, like, we're only two weeks in, but Garrett Wilson looks like a clear starter on some of these teams over some guys that maybe we took in the fourth round. You know, I'm not really thinking of anyone very clear in my head that I I could point to that we were drafting, that we want to bench from that range. Some of them are hurt, though, like Jared Judy went down. Um, And and you just get the little things. Gabe, Gabe Davis this week pops up on the injury report. It was really nice to not have to wait till Monday to make that decision in the spots that I did. I had one league where... I wasn't I didn't have anyone to cut and and I had, anyway, I ended up with Gary, Gabe Davis in my lineup. I was like, I gotta just gamble on this because I don't have any other, I wasn't deep enough at receiver in that league. It's actually the Scott Fishbowl. And I was just like, I don't have the depth here, and it's a really deep format where I can't really pick up anybody that I could even use on Monday as a spot start. So I just left him in the lineup. I'm sure there are people who didn't draft enough depth that had similar decisions. A lot of the other leagues, it was like, well, you know, we either had Devonta Smith or, or Traylon Burks or guys like that as options on Monday, or it was, I know in one league it was w- with someone else, not with you, Sean. it was, well, we'll just put in Darnell Mooney instead. And that didn't go well, but, like, the point is you have, a, you know, whatever it was, a sixth-round receiver that you can just slot in and when Gabe Davis isn't certain. So, we y- you maximize this upside throughout, and 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 like I said, I mean, there's a lot of guys, Mooney's a great example of a guy who isn't doing what we hoped for. And anywhere I have Mooney and Garrett Wilson together, I don't have a lot of Mooney, and I'm not sure if I even have the situation. But it's very easy after two weeks to be like, "Oh, well, Garrett Wilson's now my sixth round pick. He's the guy that I'm going to start every week." So it's that it, it, anyway. As, as you were saying, but. It's very cool to see, uh, as our buddy Pete Overzet tweeted this week, that in the the big best ball mania over on Underdog, in the main event on FFPC, the number one team in both formats right now is a zero RB team, which you would sort of expect. We talked about how this was a year where there's a lot of 27-year-old running backs or older running backs in those first couple of rounds. A lot I mean, of ways been these worse guys- than we, I mean, worse than we thought. And we thought it was a risk, but man, it's been- It's been so worse. Far. Yeah. Derrick Henry and all of these things, we didn't expect it would be this bad, but- the idea was these guys at this age and having shown some of the skills decline are probably not superstar players anymore in the way that some of the receivers that we have the option of taking might be. And and I mean, it's just anyway, it's, it's only been two weeks again. I don't, I don't want to do too many victory laps or or, or jumping around, but at the same time, like, there's a there's an element for our listeners. This is not for people who don't play our way. There's an element for our listeners where I want to set, I want to reinforce these points that we were trying to talk about and say this is what we meant now that we have some some data to to explain it better.
2: Yeah, and I mean there's so many things here. First round wide receivers averaging 52.8 points through two weeks. First round running backs averaging 30. I mean, that gap is gonna close, but I mean, already. The running backs are in deep, deep trouble. So, you mentioned not taking victory laps. I mean, one of the things here, too, and one of the things that's nice is just that when you are right, you can just relax and not, you know, have to, to worry about a lot of those types of things. But I, I wanted to say one of the things that popped into my head as you were talking about this talent element, too, is the sort of the flip side of it, even at running back, where one of the things that I'm so excited about with Garrett Wilson, we have Jahan Dotson on teams where we haven't played him, is that that method of drafting allows you to also get those running back picks in there in the dead zone and one of the things that we've talked about this season which i don't think is played out yet but still could is that you can also then take some of those running backs who do have the talent or at least you want to gamble on them having the talent and see what happens to where travis Etienne, Brees hall jk dobbins i'm actually really excited about having those three guys on teams and what that could mean as we get into the middle of the season as we get to the end of the season I mean, you just think about 2021 and how it's just so easy to get kind of ahead of the game so many of the things that determined tournament championships last year I mean they were not obvious at all I mean you would have no idea that those things were going to play out that way after two weeks there's so much yet that we don't know. Now, if JK Dobbins it really is week to week, or or if he turns out to be month to month, anything like that, then obviously the enthusiasm for Dobbins is going to diminish. At the same time, I mean, almost even if he misses half a year in a seventh, eighth round pick, I'm pretty excited about him because these kinds of teams should still be alive. Right? I mean, for one thing, you're just gonna have injuries anyway. You're gonna have injuries to guys who you didn't know. <laughs> Or maybe hurt when the season started. So then that does take us to kind of the down note, which is that.
1: Well, let's let's push that off again for a moment because I did have a couple of thoughts on that. You mentioned like ETN, some of those guys, and it, it brought to mind James Robinson, and maybe we can talk about these guys' value a little bit more in, in the next show. But he's a guy that I wasn't on. I was very concerned about his Achilles. I ranked him very low. Readers of, of the newsletter will know. Uh, I had him listed as a fade, even in a really low range. And yet, he's a really great example of a point I wanted to drive home with this early receiver thing. You talked about taking some of the dead zone running backs, and you can do that. But also, if you went full zero RB, you have, I mean, we have a lot of these teams that have, like Michael Carter, that has been a very solid starting running back, not much worse than the first and second round running backs. That's sort of the point we're always saying, we saw the Daryl Henderson and, and Cam Akers flip in week one. And it kind of closed in week two. Akers ends up with more touches. If you really dug back the the usage there, it did get a lot closer. But Henderson played more. He ran more than double the routes, even though he wasn't targeted and Akers was targeted three times. I think they were really trying to get Akers going a little bit uh, because of all the you know, news after week one. But they still played Henderson over Akers. Today.
2: I'm trying to buy Akers everywhere, and the Acres managers are not. Are not budging. Yeah,
1: he's still a guy to absolutely hold, but the change in value and then the change in value probably back is the point. The point is that people were really excited about Henderson just after Thursday night football and really down on Acres. And you can look at the drafts, even in high stakes formats, after Thursday night football, because there are still a lot of drafts that run and see how they, you know, Acres fell very far. We talked about maybe not far enough, but fell very far. He's going in like the ninth round. Henderson jumped quite a bit. And now, you know, this value has changed again after week two. The point is, a lot of people are saying Robinson over ETN right now. Uh, I was just talking about the Carter Hall thing. And we're still excited about Hall and ETN. Those are maybe better conversations for the Thursday show because we were going to talk about Lance and Pitts today. But there is... This element where those late running backs, I just want to drive that home too, can gain so much value, right? It didn't happen with, you know, maybe like the Melvin Gordon and Javante thing. I'm going to take my victory lap there. Javante, his role expanded in week two. My big point was it wouldn't be 50-50. And by about week three, it would be close to 65-35. It was 65-35 in week two, Sean. Uh, I don't know if that's going to stick forever. I do think it's still going to be a split. But it's really nice to see Javante for... You know, somebody who in my case I ranked him seventh at running back and had him in the same tier as the everyone other than McCaffrey and, and Taylor I had him in the same tier as Sigmund. Well, one of the fun
2: things is that we did have in, in terms of things we feel excited about, not necessarily that we're right about, but excited about in our projecting the 2023 first round show, we had Swift and, and Javante Williams like solidly in that first round. I mean, it'd be pretty. Surp- I mean, just it's two weeks, right? But it'd be pretty
1: surprising
2: yeah. if you get to the end of the season and those guys are not like the one hundred five, one hundred six next year.
1: Yeah, the way that the way that they've been used so far, Broncos' offense hasn't even looked good. Javante potentially a buy right now. I don't know, but very. I, I, I was just saying, I was nervous about that ranking for my for my subscribers. Again, not trying to victory right? lap as much as saying like I was worried that I was too excited about what I was, but I felt like the analysis was right. And I mean, he looks
2: close to, to Jonathan him. Taylor. as He a looks talent.
1: Great. I mean, he looks. And Gordon hasn't reason- looked bad. That was the whole point. The whole point that I was trying to make was that Williams is the guy that they were more comfortable with in the offseason. They waited to, to sign Gordon. And if Williams looks like he did in year one, that they're going, that's, they kind of tip their hand. They're going to say, this is our guy. And well, Melvin Gordon said
2: to anybody who yeah. would listen that, I mean, Javante Williams is going to be the guy. To be I, guy. In terms of like a little actionable note here, I do think that people should be buying Melvin Gordon sure. anywhere you can because this offense good. is going to be better. And it just sadly running backs do get hurt. I mean, everybody gets hurt, but the type of, I mean, Javante Williams is one of those rare guys who actually combines the thrashing whirling dervish element of a Marshawn Lynch and a David Montgomery with the explosiveness of a Dalvin cook. I mean, he's going to take a real beating the way that he runs and that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get hurt, but, and hopefully he doesn't. Because, man, it's so fun to watch him play. We we'll
1: put that out in the world, Sean. God, we, we, we're about to talk about a really disappointing injury. We don't need that. But, no, um, Gordon has averaged 4.8 yards per carry. Yards per carry, not a great stat. But has averaged 4.8 yards per carry so far this year. Has looked good again. One of my concerns was that he might not. I mean, just as I didn't get everything perfectly right. it certainly was saying, look, he's at 29. There's, a, He was great last year, but he's 29 years old. He might not look great again. He has looked very good early this year. And yet Williams is more than a half a yard per carry better. He's at 5.4 yards per carry. I mean, that's, that's what the Broncos coaches are seeing too. And that's anyway. That we, we weren't
2: well, if you have it. basically, I mean, running backs do matter, right? The, us being zero RB is not a thing where we don't believe in the value of running yeah. backs. I mean, there are people who take it much further than we do in terms of running backs not mattering. I mean, the, the trap you can get into is as a reality coach is feeling like they matter too much but if you have a player like jonathan taylor if you have a player like javante williams i mean those guys are a big deal and they have to be a focal point of your offense i mean one of the weird things the reason that the colts got so humiliated in their game is that jonathan taylor was actually flukily stuffed on a handful of carries early that just ruined their offense because they have nothing else when he was able to break three a couple times in the second half they're like oh we finally moved the ball you know into the red zone of course then Matt Ryan has to go, go back to the controls. And I mean, that situation, a disaster, probably again, a topic for a different show. But then we were so excited, so excited. And after the first wave of games, I, I record all of these games. I watch them very quickly and fast forward sort of as they're happening, a drive or two here, a drive or two there, going through the different games, trying not to get too many spoilers, get through five or six games. It's about two o'clock, in the afternoon, uh, West Coast time here. I go have lunch with my sister. So excited, like the greatest fantasy day ever. I get back, I'm getting ready to uh start watching the second wave of games. I look down at my phone and I have this text from a Benjamin Gretch that says, I don't know where you are in the games, but the Lance thing sucked. And just like my entire body. And it, like it's happening to me again as I say this, just
1: you're, you're it's funny because last week you were so excited about the games, you were sending me some notes, knowing that I watched them all at the same time that I would have already seen them. You were, and so I, I try not to send you too. I, I, I really try not to send you anything because I know you're usually behind. You watch them sort of one at a time and stack them, but you get through all of them for the most part on Sunday. Um, And anyway, you were sending me some notes that I was like, oh, man, he's gotten really through it in week one. And so in week two, I figured maybe you'd be on the same spot. But after the Lance thing, I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't message you for at least an hour after it happened. But I didn't know you were going to go out to lunch and everything. But it was so funny because I mean, not funny, but I I got a lot of messages from people. I'm like, yeah, I'm watching the games. Like, I didn't want to hear from anyone. I was like, I don't want to hear from you. Like, I'm sorry for you also, right? Like no one, I don't know. I mean, and, and cause everyone's feeling the same way. And so a lot of people are reaching out to me and saying the Trey Lance thing sucked. And I'm like, yeah, I know <laughs> it sucks. Yes. We're all feeling very, very, uh, down right now. Um, but like an hour or something goes by and I, I did some other stuff, but I'm talking about it in a minute, but I, I came back and I was just like I kind of want to chat with Sean about this, but I I literally I waited as long as I could because I was like I'm not, I don't want to be the guy who tells you. <laughs> so then when you told me that before the show today, I was like, oh man, I still wound up being the guy who told you.
2: Yeah, and everything can change in an instant in fantasy, and in reality, the second wave of games really the polar opposite. You have the Lance injury. You have the Falcons with this frantic comeback like we saw from so many teams. The Arizona Cardinals finished theirs off. And Kyler Murray, I mean, he's got some issues maybe as a leader. I think he's got some issues as a passer. That competitiveness is fantastic. He willed them back, ran when he needed to run. Raider is just an atrocious second half. Also an atrocious second half from the Rams who don't look at all like a Super Bowl Oof. contender. Woof. But you get Arthur Smith deciding that maybe we will come from 28 to three down by not using Kyle Pitts. That part disappointing. You also have the Broncos debacle where Jerry Judy injured early when it looked like he was going to be a focal point again. And maybe that's seeing it through the lens of wanting him to be that. But again, getting open when some of the rest of their offense was struggling, they have the hilarious element where the fans are chanting, <laughs> the play clock for them so they can figure out how to get the plays off. The second wave of games, not nearly as fun.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: But yeah, the Lance thing. I wrote about it in in Stealing Signals in the intro. As you mentioned, the the first thing is just immediately like you feel horrible for Trey Lance. Like we're rooting for these players. I obviously when we start talking them up and are very excited about them, we're you know more inclined to root for those players. But like I you know like the James Robinson thing I mentioned. I'm very excited for James Robinson. I think it's an incredible story. He's a guy who was not in on. And I'm, like, as a fan, just, like, wow, by, by by, what he's done and how quickly he's come back and how good he's been. And he looks like his old self for the most part. I had a little concern there on his breakaway run. Um, wrote about in Stealing Signals, but just a little concern about his long speed. But I thought he looked uh, – you know, air has looked great for the first two weeks. And it's been, like – honestly, like, I, I mean, it's not just saying it. Like, I, as somebody – watching it i'm not going you know i I want him to not do well like i'm genuinely just like this is cool you know i mean we have a lot of teams and sort of is what it is in terms of the stuff not going well sometimes but anyway the the guys that you really like are the ones that you really you know you pull for and you root for and you you start seeing them through rose-colored glasses and a bias lens and and you're a fan of them you know i was i did this last year with justin fields all year and and I wrote in silent signals after week one. And it seemed like Trey Lance is going to be my Justin Fields this year because I didn't think his week one was that bad. And we talked about him last week. And but also there's the element of our teams. And for me, it was this acute awareness and a very selfish one. But pretty quickly, that the Trey Lance teams didn't do great in week one because he didn't have a great game. A lot of them are Trey Lance Cal Pitts teams. These guys didn't put up a lot of points. Um, a lot of them are 0-1. And And one of the things I would say, and I I didn't know it necessarily, but I'm a obviously like sort of an analytical guy. There's things that I'm thinking about. I didn't like put this in my mind, but I was really looking forward to Trey Lance playing well. I I I think I knew somewhere subconsciously that a good Trey Lance game would go a long way for a lot of my teams to get them back to one and one. A lot of overwhelmingly, the teams that I had that went 0 1 in week one were the teams where I drafted trey lance or there's a big correlation there and so it was an excitement level of that's of anything i wanted to be too specifically it was trey lance to come out and have a great game against the seahawks who i've been talking about as you know being a joke for the whole off season and i was so excited to see that also for the for the rest of the season stuff and everything else you know my own talking up trey lance all off season wanting to see a big game early, wanting you know, I, that there's nothing that I would have rather seen yesterday than Trey Lance play incredibly well. It just would have been a very optimistic and positive thing on a lot of levels. And so again, the selfish element of it, when he gets hurt right away, it's an immediate and acute awareness that these overwhelmingly 0-1 teams now have an early injury, which means very low points at the quarterback position and are now very likely to go 0-2 on top of the fact that they don't have Trey Lance for the rest of the year. And just like some of our teams are not going to work out. That's why we draft a lot of teams, Sean. I mean, some people ask me, like, how many teams are you playing? They're so wild. Biden's like, you know, when you put as much time into it as we do, there's a diversification there's, we're just talking about with Garrett Wilson, like right now we're sitting here feeling like we didn't have him in enough teams and yet there's a possibility that you know injuries can happen. I definitely don't even want to put that on the world with Garrett Wilson, but like that that happens even before he has the game. Like yesterday, what if he got hurt in week one? We would have you know been feeling the opposite. Why did we have so much Garrett Wilson? So we try to balance those things as much as we can, as well as being pretty you know within the context of being pretty aggressive generally when we think things are very wrong. And Lance is an ADP that we felt was pretty wrong all offseason. We thought it should be in. The, the top seven, basically right behind Hertz, right behind Tyler. And in that tier from most of the offseason. I moved him back a half tier with the Garoppolo stuff. But part of that, to be completely honest, is just, I already had drafted him so much. It's like, I need to move him. Sometimes I do that with my rankings where I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm moving guys down just to temper myself because in every draft I'm in, he seems like the best quarterback value and his, his ADP dropped a lot late. And so we added a lot more lands ended up with, Plenty of Lance pegs, but you, you don't want dead teams in week two, obviously. And I don't think all of these teams are dead, but an 0 2 team that has lost Trey Lance is now in the way that I was viewing it, and the way I told you before the show was this I basically this idea of like expected value of the team. And when it goes 0 1 and Lance has a bad first game, the expected value drops a little bit. And every time it gets worse and worse, you start to think of this team as one that's probably not going to win and make, you know, do anything very positive for you. The second Lance gets hurt, there's this idea that that small drop in week one that could have easily rebounded in week two, and you could be one and one and be very optimistic about that team and feel like it's great going forward. It has a positive expected value for the rest of the year. It immediately is saying, you know, this feeling of, okay, now we're 0-2. We don't have Trey Lance, which is a big part of how this team does well, is this thesis that Trey Lance can be a top five quarterback. The Expected value. Now, how does that team make the playoffs at 0-2 and, and, and doesn't have that key player, that early quarterback pick? expected value idea is the way that I would articulate it because to me, like that was sort of the film was like, these teams are now like, they're not dead. They're not completely gone, but they're be, you know, 15% to do anything. Now they're, they're very low. Now I have to have everything right at running back and receiver and tight end. And I got to find a replacement, a quarterback to overcome the and two deficit, right? <laughs> Let alone then get the luck in the playoffs and all of that stuff. Um, so from the very selfish level That was, you know, I mean, it's weird with a quarterback, but it kind of makes sense because so many of these teams were, you know, one elite quarterback and no other quarterbacks on the team and they're deep formats, So there's not a lot of quarterbacks available. And we are redundant at receiver. So if a receiver gets hurt, that's really unfortunate. But we have a lot of them. And we're also redundant with late round running back options. If one of them gets hurt, you can kind of just waver them away. I probably would say that Lance and Pitts are the two guys that of anyone. Individual players with you know where I ended up with exposures that I wouldn't want to to fail because they are harder to replace with the way that we're building our teams essentially. And so anyway, Lance especially, because even with Pitts, I mean, there's you know a lot of those teams i dropped at a second tight end and the tight end premium format over FFPC, or what have you. I, th- I think with Pitts, he's going to be fine as well. But the Lance injury just probably the one player in the entire league I didn't want to see go down and. I wrote in signals that I kind of went through the five stages of grief a little bit. You know, immediately was like, oh, he, you know, he could maybe be back in a couple of weeks, even though you know, they bring the air cast out. That's never good. You know it right away. You see his his reaction right away. It's that denial thing, starting to do some bargaining. You know, telling myself that QBs don't really matter and seasonal. I'll be able to replace it. It's about the running backs and the receivers. Starting to, you know, all these things. But then I, I wrote for my. my signal subscribers when i got to the depression stage i decided to leave the house and go to taco bell it did what any self-respecting adult would do (laughs) and and i it was john it was the first time in years that i've left the house on a sunday during games i can't remember the last time i thought it was you were going to say it was the first time you've been to taco bell (laughs) no i eat taco bell more than i should
2: (laughs) i mean maybe the most insightful quote i've ever heard is what's the point of being rich if you can't eat a taco bell every day that's a great, that's a great quote. Well, we don't have to deal with that situation yet, but we're also eating a Taco Bell, so
1: <laughs> I try not to eat there too much, but, um, yeah, I was just like, I, I want Taco talk about, uh, I, 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 what I, what I wanted was to not be watching the games anymore and I didn't watch them very closely for another hour or so, um, especially that niners game it was really hard to just even watch the game i'm not trying to make anyone feel sorry for me i feel like i got a lot of responses from that intro on stealing signals and a lot of people saying that it articulated how they were feeling that was sort of the point of me writing it It was not it was a little bit cathartic for me but it was i think that this can be a lonely thing and if you had trey lance on your team and you're dealing with some of these emotions it was hard, I'm sure. And I've, I've watched a lot of player injuries. I've had this feeling a lot and I've never gotten up and left watching the games. I've been bummed, but you know, I, I read stealing signals. I've been doing it for seven, six years now or whatever it is. And I, I need to keep watching the games. It's like my job. I take it very seriously. The Lance one broke me a little bit. and And I'm sure a lot of our listeners felt similarly what i was just describing so the main reason i'm sharing it again it's not for anyone to feel sorry about me i don't want anyone to feel that way at all or, or to hear it that way at all i think there is probably some power in acknowledging that we care about this stuff more than we should maybe we're grown man children i don't know but um this idea that that you know this stuff can suck sometimes and and if you are feeling that way hopefully hopefully just knowing that uh, that it's not just you, it's a lot of people. To, I had this conversation with a lot of my readers who reached back out to me after I wrote about it and said, you, know, you described how I was feeling very well. So hopefully some of our listeners uh, feel the same way. Again, not talking and telling that story for any reason other than that, I hope. Uh,
2: well, you say care about it more than we should, but I would emphasize that an important part of having a good life is that you need to be fully engaged in the things that you're doing. And so, I mean, if you are spending your time doing fantasy football analysis, if you're spending your Sundays enjoying football and and watching the games to have a good life, you've got to be emotionally invested in that. And so, you know, the downside of being emotionally invested and having an engaged life is that, yeah, I mean, when things don't go well, It hits you, and it should make an impact, and it does make an impact. For me, the biggest issue is is on the best ball side. I talk a lot about not overly diversifying because you diversify yourself out of the results that you would get when you're right, and so you never have the big wins that you need, and then in the years that you're wrong, you also don't win. The downside of that is that if you have a year where you're wrong or you have a year where there are significant, devastating injuries. Then, yeah, I mean, you, you lose a big chunk of the money. So especially when you talk about the two elite quarterbacks in the window element of best ball, if Lance is one of your two QBs in the window on a lot of teams, those teams have a big hole blown in the roster now. There's really no way around that. I mean, the second QB could play well enough to keep you alive if the rest of your team is unbelievable. Connor and I have this team that is Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Swift, has Patrick Mahomes, it has Garrett Wilson, which is fun because obviously if you're going to start with those running backs, you need to have some of those other wide receiver hits. But its second QB is Trey Lance. And so now you go from having Mahomes Lance to just having Mahomes. And your path gets much, much narrower. So you're still hoping for the miracle in those situations. I think it's disappointing because we didn't get to see Right, you mentioned losing the guy early in the season is a big blow. Losing him in a game in redraft where you started him and you get the two points and you go to zero and two, that is a big blow. But just not being able to know now whether or not the thesis was going to work. I mean, I think you have to have some concerns about whether he would have been able to hold up to Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts and those guys because especially Hurts looks like such. A huge hit, and he's really exciting to have on a bunch of other teams. So, from the, but from that perspective, you know, we just we would have liked to have seen so much anticipation. Yeah, just okay. wiped away. From a redraft perspective, I do want to pretty positive though. I guess I'm still very optimistic. Have some Lance teams that are two and zero, and the one that we drafted as part of the contest with Eric. 2-0, a fun team. you got to figure out a way to now get across how some main events that I drafted with some other folks. You and I, fortunately, actually don't have a ton of Lance on our main event teams. We do have a couple. Those teams aren't looking great. The other teams, Bennett, just then it's a really exciting start. But I have a lot of Lance in main events, and they kind of run the full range of 2-0, 1-1, 0-2, and 0-2 if it's stacked with pits you're thinking it's not just 0-2, but the point total is very low. And so from that perspective, you've got to dig out there as well. I think the hard thing for me when looking at these pits teams and thinking about our readers and listeners is that if you're 0-2 in a lot of home league formats that are win-loss based, it's now a long road back. If you don't have that points avenue, then it can be trickier. Hopefully in some of these situations, you do have fantasy quarterfinals so maybe six of the 12 teams make it you get into the quarters your team and i think that's more common
1: i I was just going to say you know a lot of what i was saying about the redraft teams was related to the higher stakes stuff the 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 deeper lineup stuff Um, and because of the way the main event works the playoffs for the league start week 13 they go week 13 and 14 and then there's the three-week shootout weeks 15 16 17 so you're talking about a 12 week regular season where you're 0 2. Now you have 10 games.
2: If you're 0 2, the path to making it based on record. I mean, you almost have to go undefeated. And, in, and, in and all format. the leagues are different too. I mean, you have some leagues where it, it it's almost like a, an eight and four will be like a tie for first. Yeah, I mean, you do in have that some because format, only four too.
1: people only four people make the league playoffs as well. But what I, what. I, what I was going to say is in the in the more casual leagues, you have a 14-game regular season. You, often six teams are making the playoffs. At 0-2, I think you're actually not in that massive of a hole. I, I think that actually gets overstated. That was something I wrote about in my intro on Monday for the people who started 0-2. And especially because a lot of those leagues are shallower leagues, there's guys like Tua Tagovailoa available for you to potentially go get, and he might even be better than whatever Trey Lance might bet. We just said... we. At this point, we didn't get to see what Trey Lance was going to be, and it's possible that he was going to have a bad year. And I, but the, that's the thing where I'm just like, I, I wish the guy could have just played and failed. <laughs> you know what I mean? it's just it's so it's so disheartening. I, I really genuinely would have preferred that to just be wrong, and I would have gotten bad scores in my in my lineup all year. And these teams are better off that I can replace him if that was the only alternative, right? And yet I still would have preferred that because it you know it's something where you can think through. It differently. I mean, in terms of you know mentally how how you're reacting to something like this. But anyway, in the casual leagues where you know a two is available, or there are a lot other quarterbacks available. And I think that that
2: is important because one of the things that we've seen this year is that a lot of these top QBs are separating as expected, especially Josh Allen and then the hybrid QBs who were hitting. and then that was part of the thesis for Lance. It may not have played out that way. But you also have some extremely inexpensive quarterbacks. I mean, late round QB is not an impossible path. I mean, it's still a way to play this. Carson Wentz is not a good quarterback, but he has a ton of weapons and the commanders are going to trail. Jerry Goff, not a good quarterback. It was amazing how inaccurate he was in leading the Lions to score almost every possession. I mean, he looked bad and yet... I'm on Rice St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, DJ Chark, who didn't catch any of his four targets because they were terrible passes, and Jamison Williams is coming. Jared Goff is going to score a ton of fantasy points this season. You mentioned Tua. I mean, he's a very obvious one, but we also have the rookie quarterbacks potentially coming. Malik Willis could be someone who's out there for you during the fantasy playoffs. Probably not yet. And then we're not very far away from seeing a quarterback change at Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about Pickett. That was the name that I gave my subscribers. I think you lose Lance, you go to two QBs in those formats. You got to have one to start now. They're they're sticking with Trubisky for week three on the short week. He's going to play Thursday night. It's on the road. He has not looked good in weeks one and two. They did get a win in week one, but their defense was dominant against the Bengals. They basically won in spite of Mitchell Trubisky. And then he looked real bad in their loss in week two. If he looks bad again on the road Thursday night, I've been saying it since the the preseason, basically. But I thought we'd see Pickett by week four. I'm encircling that game because it is after a Thursday night. Or you get a 10-day break. You get the home game. A lot of coaches like to start their rookies off at home, and they get the Jets in week four. So if Trubisky plays poor again, they fall to one and two. My expectation is – I I wrote this week that it's better than 50-50 that Pickett starting week four. I don't think that means it's a lock, but it's—I I do think it's better than fifty-fifty because Trubisky's played bad, and I—I I think first of all, for him to play better is a low probability situation. On the road, tough, tough environment in Cleveland, short week. Um, I think there's some possibility that that game gets out of hand. We see Pickett on Thursday, and you know they get him some run, and then start him in week four. I also think if they don't start him in week four, if Trubisky has a decent enough game in week three. Maybe they go to 2-1. and Maybe they win that game. If Trubisky plays poor against the Jets, they have a really tough upcoming schedule after the Jets game that they might have a quick hook with him in Week 4. We might see Pickett come in in that game and then say, hey, all right, enough's enough. We can't let the season get away from us. We're 2-1, and but in spite of you. And and they might go to Pickett during the Week 4 game. So I think there are a lot of paths that by the end of Week 4 would be we might see Kenny Pickett by that point. And Pickett, when I wrote about him this week, went back and looked at his preseason numbers I, didn't, I don't pay a ton of attention to the preseason numbers i thought he looked good i talked about that in my preseason write-up i talked about it a lot on the show as we talked about teontay johnson who i thought looked good with both quarterbacks and some of the preseason usage Pickett through 36 balls completed 80 percent of them for 200 and something yards it's like a normal one game 36 attempts was like 260 280 yards three touchdowns no picks of the 45 preseason QBs who had at least 35 pass attempts, he was second in passer rating. He was seventh in, in PFFs grading. Now, those 45 quarterbacks are mostly all backups, right, that had 35 pass attempts in the preseason. But he didn't play poor. He played very well, actually, against backups as well. I mean, it should be noted. I, I was He's not no very He's no Sam in.
2: Howell is what you're saying.
1: He's no Sam Howell. I wasn't very in on him, but... I wasn't very in on Herbert. I said this to you before the show. You were in on Herbert as a prospect. I was not. So to me, I'm thinking of it a little bit like that, where I I was wrong from a talent perspective on Herbert. And he, as a rookie, wound up being very relevant in redraft. And I think this situation specifically, we talk a lot about situation and the talent around you. You just mentioned it with Wentz. They're going to throw a lot. He's got good weapons. I don't like Carson Wentz, but I can sort of buy into that a little bit. Pickett is a guy who... I think he's in a similar situation they're not going to be able to run the ball their offensive line can't run block they don't run particularly well and they've shown from a team perspective they're willing to throw quite a bit when they trail and he has a lot of weapons i mean deontay johnson chase claypool george pickens pat fryer that's as good of a group as anything you were just saying for the lions or, the, or washington i think i would take well
2: deontay johnson has looked better than he's looked in these previous yeah. seasons where he was this monster target hog. Friar is taking a step forward in year two. Really looks already ready to join. I mean, that star echelon at tight end has only caught 50% of his passes so far because Mitchell Trubisky is pulling the trigger, but his ability to get open, to catch touchdowns, to do all those things that you want sure. tight ends to do elite George Pickens I mean, maybe if you had better quarterback play, we'd be talking about him well, in the same breath as someone like Garrett Wilson. I mean, I, I'm i not in on Chase Claypool, but I mean Claypool, a physical talent, somebody who's going to be hard for the defense to account for.
1: He can elevate a quarterback's efficiency with some plays, right? Um, the way that I would describe that is they're going to elevate whatever pick it is and make him look better. The situation should make him look better. If he's not great, but he's playing, he could still have decent numbers, serviceable numbers. I would basically compare it to Daniel Jones, who – has been terrible. We thought Brian Dable's past first offense and not even really having great weapons might actually elevate him A little bit of mobility there, a little bit of mobility with Pickett. I think Pickett's a better bet than Daniel Jones at this point, who I was actually a little bit excited about from that same vein in terms of like what they might be as a player, but being in systems that might elevate them a little. The point that I want to drive home further though, and the reason that I think he's worth stashing now before Thursday night, because I think there's a possibility we get him named as the week four starter before Sunday. So I think it's worth potentially picking up Pickett on your bench to find some new information here in week three. And a lot of formats will be locked if you don't pick him up. Right. He'll be locked And I think there's this possibility that Mike Tomlin's the type of coach that in the post-game press conference will just tell you, hey, we're going to pick Kenny Pickett in week four. Like they already had that decision made. If Trubisky plays bad enough in this game, we might hear that in the post-game press conference Thursday night. I'm not saying that's likely or anything, but it's it's a possibility. They got 10 days to prepare, and that would be the time to go to Pickett if you're going to go to him. And they waited so long to name Trubisky the starter. That's the other big element on this. Well, we've heard some rumors that they
3: might
2: really prefer to do the whole Patrick Mahomes thing with Pickett, which in some ways is odd. I mean, in a lot of ways is odd. But there have been so many examples of teams that didn't really feel like even elite quarterbacks were ready. The Texans didn't want to go with Deshaun Watson, even though they had someone who was not even a good backup. That they were trying to run. all Savage. It makes you feel like uh, old-time television shows. There is, is yeah. the direction they go. going. You have Herbert, who would not have gotten to play necessarily if you don't have that horrible situation where the Chargers' doctors managed to puncture Tyron Taylor's lung. And those guys were stars. Kenny Pickett. I don't think a prospect. Anywhere close to the level of either of those two players, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't be a good, solid NFL quarterback. He couldn't be someone who really helps the team. It's just this very difficult dynamic when you're, you're an NFL head coach and you're asking the question, can the quarterback run the offense? When you talk about being risk averse and these teams do want to run their offenses, which you can understand, but they can move so far in the direction of the conservative take of we don't want the mistakes and we want the player out there who understands the plays. We need to let the other guy have time so that we don't hurt his career by putting him out prematurely. It's not just about winning now, it's also the long term for the younger player. Again, we have so many examples of when that guy does get in there, if he's good, he can play. And even if he makes mistakes, he can elevate the offense in ways that the backup or the guy who is starting but should be the backup cannot. And elevate the team, elevate individual players, and improve the fantasy situation for both the weapons and the quarterback himself.
1: That's the thing that I've really slowly been trying to get to: is that the error on Pickett, if we're wrong, is all pretty positive. He can he can potentially be good in redraft. And like it, I was saying, like I'm comparing him to Daniel Jones. But if we're if we miss, we're 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 already saying he's probably not very good. Daniel Jones is not a guy who I think is a very good NFL quarterback. And I'm, I'm saying the situation could still elevate him to potential startability in, in one QB leagues for a team that lost Trey Lance, if you will. But if we're wrong, and he's even like, can play like a league average level, I'm not saying great, but if he can be what Mac Jones was last year, in the Steelers situation, I think that would actually be, you know, not, not a top five fantasy quarterback, but he could be a top 10, maybe over stretch, right? He could be QB 10, if you will. And that's where the Herbert thing comes in. His rookie year was very... um relevant in, in redraft. So anyway, I, I'm definitely wish casting a little bit. I, you lose Lance and I'm, I'm still emotionally not all the way back. So I, I, I've decided to just push all of my chips into Kenny Pickett, I guess. But I, I do think it's interesting uh, from a strategic perspective, if you have Lance to roster a second quarterback, make it Pickett. You should get more information in the next couple of weeks. If they do want to do what you said and wait on him for a lot of weeks, that's fine. You can cut him again after like week four if he's not playing or Trubisky plays better or whatever. And then you make another bet as your second quarterback or, you know, use that roster spot for something else. Maybe you hit on whoever the starter is you're picking up, if it's a Mariota or obviously if you're lucky enough to have the opportunity to add Tua or somebody like that, you probably don't even need to worry about Pickett at that point, honestly, if, you, if you're if you able to grab Tua. I think we, we should be very optimistic about what we've seen from the Dolphins through two weeks. But you're trying to find some quarterback upside somewhere. Um Pickett's a place to, to make that first bet. And then the way I was looking at it is I want to I want to tap into all of the rookie class to try to throughout the year now kind of churn the way we do with running backs, get some more information on Pickett here in the next couple of weeks. If he's not it, you cut him, you then move to Willis or Ritter in the midterm. And if we don't see those guys in the midterm stashing Howell for the later term, I think Wentz has done enough that he's probably got a longer leash than I want him to. Um, but I do still hope we'll see how old, like maybe in the fantasy playoffs and and you might be looking at a situation where on a Lance team, you're trying to just get there. And, we t- and that was the other point I didn't really finish because I'm taking so long to make my points today, but 14 game season, home league, six teams make the playoffs. You start on two, You got 12 more games. I mean, if you can go, I don't know, eight, and four, you're eight and six, you're probably getting into a 16 playoff. And if your team is good enough that you were at one point thinking they could be a top team in the league during the regular season, you would have expected them to be able to go eight and four over a 12 week stretch. I mean, that's just sort of the way I put it is like if you thought your team was good enough to go 14 and 0 at one point or 12 and 2 or 10 and 4 or whatever, now they've started 0 and 2. They're not going to get there. But the, the biggest reason 0 and 2 teams don't end up making the playoffs is most of them suck. I mean, if your team's good in 0 and 2, there's still this possibility of it coming back and going eight and four over the next 12 weeks. That's a type of record that our good fantasy teams already do. Through the first twelve weeks, in a lot of cases, they go eight and four. So that's not like, oh, everything's going to be great. Uh, so I just like don't quit on your season because your team's zero and two. If you're in a fourteen game regular season, I mean, you have a lot of possibility. You could go ten and two, not even eight and four. I've I've definitely had teams start zero and two, and rip off eight straight wins. I mean, I had a team one year that started zero and six and won seven straight times and made the playoffs. I mean, you can do that like if your fantasy team is built a certain way and a lot of the teams that we build are built to get better with these garrett wilson type breakouts and a lot of them are already hitting so don't give up too quick but you're trying to find qb upside i think that churn idea of getting some more information on Pickett now maybe treating ritter uh and and willis as midterm options for a stash to see at the same time you're going to need a quarterback to play during that right so i'm saying sort of a two quarterback plan with your roster whether it's Mariota or Wentz or whoever, you're starting somebody to get some quarterback points. I can't get Ben to say Jared Goff. <laughs> Jared Goff, maybe Jared Goff. Somebody who can give you 15 to 20 points, and then if you're running backs and receivers and tight ends are good enough, you can still win that way. That's the great thing about the quarterback position is even the bad ones score fantasy. points. Yeah,
2: and that's, from a fantasy perspective, probably the biggest takeaway is that you lose some of the upside, but you can, I mean, quarterback is the easiest position to replace. So purely from a game perspective, you're still in it. And your point about the 0-2 and and what's the actual caliber of your team, we're still early enough that the actual caliber of your team is where you want to be focused, not necessarily your record, not necessarily the points you have scored. If your team is 0-2 and even hasn't scored that many points because you had multiple players injured early in games, that's a very different situation than being oh you know oh and two or even one and one or even two and oh if you're two and oh because your opponents didn't score very much and you hit on some veteran games that simply aren't going to be sustainable i mean there are some veterans who have scored points and who may be in lineups and there are going to be some two and oh teams in some leagues that are frankly just not that good and you don't necessarily have to worry about them as you go forward and i think that you articulated that well well, Ben, we'll be back with another yeah, we'll have episode.
1: To talk, we'll have to talk Kyle Pitts on Thursday. I, I promised in the intro we'd talk Kyle Pitts, but <laughs> we'd too much time on the quarterbacks.
2: If you're on two because you have Kyle Pitts, you have a fantasy championship to still look forward to. That is the tease for the next episode of Stealing Bananas. We'll be back with you guys soon. I... I'm Sean Siegel with me as always is been Gretch. Make sure you follow him at yards per Gretch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Lines. We'd love to have you guys over at RotoViz using the coupon code RBRADIO2022 to get a 10% discount at checkout. Subscribe to the pod. We're still you know, trying to work through exactly what the in season schedule will be. We're going to try and have as many of these as we can in part because we just enjoy chatting we talked for an hour before we started which got us off to a slow start here sign up for the feed you'll get these when they come out leave us a rating and review we appreciate you guys so much hopefully you are two and oh but regardless week three is going to be awesome we'll talk to you guys soon